no, no plunder on TV will ever get a job again. <laughs> Dumb and dumb, I'd call Hello and welcome back to the 40-yard switch. As always, I am your host, Jasper Woodcock. And as I mentioned last week, Wilbur has embarked on his travels over the next four weeks visiting Singapore and Japan. So over the next few weeks, we will come to you with a number of guest hosts and uh, different opinions and uh, footballing minds. But this week, we are joined by a familiar face and a friend of the show, live from Luxembourg. It is our favourite Luxembourgian, if I'm saying that correctly, Yannick Hansen. Welcome back. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me again. A pleasure to have you. Is Luxembourgian correct? Quickly, before I move on. Uh, I, I guess it will be Luxembourgish, but yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think anyone knows for a fact. So let's do that. We'll roll with anything. I'll roll with Luxembourgian, Yeah. <laughs> Um, so yes, like we always do in the show, we don't really uh, mess around too too much. We're going to kick straight on into the nuts and bolts of things. So we're going to kick off as Yannick is, for those who have listened to episodes involving Yannick before, you will know that he is a diehard Liverpool fan. Uh, so what better place to start than the Merseyside derby? Uh, over the weekend on Saturday, the early kickoff, uh, much to Yannick's chagrin. Uh, after the international break, uh, seemed to be not be a problem for Liverpool as they dispatched fairly comfortably in the end, albeit with the help of a red card to Ashley Young, uh, dispatched Everton 2-0. Uh, I'm assuming you watched the watched the whole thing? Yeah, I did. Um, a bit of relief, to be honest. Um, I think it's back-to-back 12-30 kickoff wins, which is great after all that controversy last year. Really terrible game to watch, to be honest. Um, not a lot of chances. The red card helped, but I don't know. It was, it was quite a dire watch. Then a VAR penalty, which was a penalty. And then a little bit of a scare win. Probably Canate should have seen a second, a second yellow. I think it was one. But a good win in the end. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Uh, so... Obviously, obviously, Ashley Young sees sees red for two yellows, both just both there, both very justifiable. Uh, and then Sean Dyche is incensed post game for Kanate not seeing red for his two yellow cardable offences. And truth be told, my my opinion is they probably were yellow cardable offences, and he probably should have been walking. And it was made all the more the knife was stuck all the more into the wound by the fact that he was subsequently substituted minutes later. Uh, so you've just said it. You thought that was a red card. Did you think that had a massive hinge on the overall result, or do you think it was probably going to be a Liverpool win regardless? So, if I'm not mistaken, I think he should have seen the second yellow just before Liverpool got their penalty. So I think you, I think you could probably argue that it was game changing because if you play ten v ten, you have more of a chance because it was Everton had their backs against the walls for. All of the second half, they didn't have a sniff, no counter-attack, nothing. Um, so, yeah, I, I think they were hard done by Everton. Not that I care too much. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, true, true. Yeah, I suppose you wouldn't. But, uh, yeah, look, for me, I've not seen uh, the full 90 minutes, but I've seen enough. And from what I've seen, 
I think Everton had showed a bit in the first half, but there's not there's obviously already against a team of of which there is such a talent disparity against Liverpool, much like there was when Everton faced Arsenal and they seem to not really have much tooth going forward, especially when you tackle tack onto that, the red card to Ashley Young. It was always going to be difficult for them to create anything anyway. And maybe the Canate red card would have made a difference. But as we've seen already with Liverpool this season, when they've been reduced to 10 men, they, they tend to not see much of a drop-off. It's happened against uh, Wolves and happened against Bournemouth. No, maybe not Wolves. Happened against Bournemouth. Happened against Newcastle. Uh, Newcastle. Uh, and even with nine men, and even and with ten men, you scored uh, against Spurs. And with nine men, you defended very well. So I still feel like while Everton can and Sean Dyche can possibly sing, uh, make a song and dance about you know the unjustness of it all, I feel like just because of the simple difference in levels of the two squads i don't think the result would have been that impacted over the whole course of the thing yeah i agree um i think there was probably a, a little bit of good karma given the the robbery we had against spurs when var completely fucked up so i thought i when i saw that second one that second canate far i thought he's not going to give a second yellow because we know what happened at the spurs game it's at anfield it's still nil nil I don't think Dress got the balls to send him off, and he didn't. Yeah, and that that again sort of circles back to the the, the issue at the heart of everything VAR related, and the issue uh, with just refereeing in general is just the standard of the refereeing. At the end of the day, uh, like we saw, um, I mean, we see every week uh, decisions that are just you know very 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 debatable. Like you see in the Chelsea Arsenal game, which we'll touch on later. Uh, yeah. Robert Sanchez absolutely taking out uh, Tommy Asu and no penalty for that. It's very similar to the Onana one in in round one. So I think yeah, it, it just circles back to the standard of refereeing in the Premier League is 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 not good enough uh, compared to seemingly leagues around around Europe uh, and especially in the Champions League. I think the refereeing is is considerably better in the Champions League as, as it should be. I think what's really frustrating is. You over a season, you'll always have inconsistencies. You'll have some stuff that's given, some stuff that isn't given for similar offences. But now you get it on the same match day and you have it in the same games, like in the Liverpool game. Like something's got to give. It's, you know, if I was on the receiving end of that, um, as I was against Spurs, I'd be livid because you can't, you can't have, you can't send someone off for something that later on someone else does and isn't punished for. It destroys the game, and they they need to fix that. Yeah, and I think we've had plenty of discussions about this uh, off off air via message, various messaging uh, apps, and I think a lot of it comes down to accountability. I think the the PGMO took a step in the right direction with the you know show that they do midweek, some weeks with Michael Owen and Howard Webb. But I do feel like we've both mentioned the the use of uh, mic'd up refereeing decisions being made available to at least the TV audience, and it may be even a step further the the live in 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 stadium audience, like it is in the NFL and in rugby. But yeah. do we think at least it should be mic'd up, like it is in cricket and rugby, and whether it be available only to the TV audience or the whole stadium? Um. 
definitely TV audience. I think, you know, most people watch it in front of the telly. And if you at least get a sense of what what they talk about, how they arrive at a decision, you can, I think it takes some heat off because later on, because you watch it and, you know, something happens, you're not, you don't agree with it. You have no idea how they made that call. I think it would help because then at least you can say, oh, okay, I can see where it's coming from. Okay, they, they they actually saw it, you know, even in the replay, they saw someone else was taken out, there was a bit of contact, you know, at least you can sort of rationalise it in your own head. And I think in rugby, it's pretty good because they've been having the technology for a long time. They know how to operate it. The communication is very clear. Um, I, I think it's a no-brainer for football and I don't see why they don't do it. And on the accountability part, you know, that, that game Spurs against Liverpool, a mistake like that, that should... That should put you on the sidelines for more than one week, because that's what happened yeah. to the the VAR official. He was on the sidelines for one week, which was just to take him out of the limelight. And this weekend he was back on duty, and I, that's not a punishment. There, there's no accountability. Yeah, no, I, I I'm inclined to agree. I think, and that and this I think this is still an issue with multiple codes of sport across the world. Uh, is that when referees are reprimanded if you will for very serious lapses in whether it be judgment or concentration that result in missed calls or bad calls the the worst they're served with is a slap on the wrist whether that be being stood down for a game or then then, then I, I was gonna say a small fine but they're never even really fined and it's the sort of thing it's like you make if you make a colossal mistake like that that has you know, rippling impacts on 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 league season, because you see, with for example, Rodri's handball against uh, Everton that wasn't called two seasons ago. If if that's called Liverpool in the league, like that's how small the margins are. So I think, yeah, I'm not sure how many games you, you, you is justifiable to keep a referee out off, but it's more than it's more than one. It's more than three at least. I feel like they're also such a referees are such a tight-knit community I don't think there's any incentive because they'd be, they'd be punishing their own and I think was it was it Mike Dean who like not too long ago he said I didn't send one of my mates to the screen because I think he made a mistake and I didn't want it to be pointed out like if that's the sort of thinking they have then that's just going to breed this you know unaccountability whatever you want to call it and it's just it's bad for the game I think yeah no I 100% agree and it was Mike Dean yeah who didn't didn't send Anthony Taylor to the monitor for the Christian Romero pull on Mark Kukurea's hair. Uh, yeah, so not sure if anything will change in the near future, but they're definitely it's something that we've we've talked about on the show plenty of times, and it's something that it feels like it's an easy fix, and it's sort of sitting there staring everyone in the face. But whether or not they act on it is another thing entirely. But moving on to a slightly more positive thing, obviously Liverpool won, and uh, Maybe not their best performance so far this season, but overall, I feel as a as an unbiased neutral that Liverpool's play this season has, considering they completely overhauled their midfield, has sort of drastically improved. Uh, and it, really, in all in 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 multiple facets of the game, it's not just the midfield. I feel like the the, the defense, while it hasn't been as good as it once was, it's a lot better than it was last year. Uh, on the mo- on on the whole, uh, and uh, I think the 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 offense as well is is 
sort of looking rejuvenated, led led by Mo Salah still, but you've got a lot of players who seem to be finding their feet more, Darwin Nunes, Cody Gakpo, uh, while established players uh, are enjoying a sort of return to form after you know lengthy spells in the sideline, i.e. Diogo Jota and Luis Diaz. So I've sort of, as a Liverpool fan, who's watched probably most of their games, if not all of them this season, um, how have you sort of, perceived how they've been playing this season uh, in this sort of what's supposed to be a transitional year and how have you, have you how have you been enjoying it I suppose I've been enjoying it a lot I think when you're a Liverpool fan expectations at least since Klopp's in expectations are always high so even though they did did have this massive overhaul of their midfield I still wanted them to at least get top four and push for a trophy wherever that is probably Europa League is the most likely looking one but They've exceeded my expectations. I think Soboslai, he's phenomenal in midfield. The way he drives forward, it just he's he's the kind of player that at least I've been calling out for a long time. Someone from midfield who can chip in goals, who looks like a threat. Um, we didn't have that with Thiago or with Henderson, Milner, Fabinho, Oxley, Chamberlain. I think they collectively scored two or three goals over the last season. Um, that's not enough if you want to push for titles. <clears throat> That's really good to watch. I think they're a lot more unpredictable, which I think that's great for any team. The goals can come from anywhere. Um, that's all been really good to watch. Defensively, I think there's still a lot of issues. I think Van Dijk is not what he, he used to be like. Um, maybe three years ago, Canate is really erratic, as we saw against Everton. And the fullbacks, you know, they push up a lot. So naturally, sometimes they get a little bit more exposed um, on the counter. But I think that's also been improved. I think Alexander-Arnold, I don't think I've complained yet about Alexander-Arnold on our group chat. So that's all That's all positive. And Alisson is having a massive season as well. I think we should we should point out. Yeah, no, I, I don't think you have complained about Alexander-Arnold this season. And to be fair, I don't think he's had a bad game so far. Like he had the one error against Newcastle but outside of that, had a much improved second half after that. So, and yeah, Van Dijk, I think for me, looking outside to sort of in, Van Dijk, it, you're correct, is not the imperious figure he was a couple of years ago. But I also think collectively as a unit, the the team is no longer needing to sort of lean on him as much as it used to. Because it mm. used to be, Trent was good, obviously, uh, but it was, you know, Lovren or Joe Gomez or Matip who were all, like, okay, but Van Dijk elevated the level of the entire back line. Whereas it's now, like, Matip is a seasoned veteran. Uh, Kanate is finally seeming to find his feet. Uh, and Van Dijk, while he's fallen off, is still not he's still the best centre defender at, at Liverpool. But it seems to be just a, a level sort of grouping of good centre-backs maybe not amazing centre-backs but but like very good high quality centre-backs and the emergence of Gerald Kwanzaa as well so I think as a whole unit yeah you're right it's not perfect but I think for what Liverpool want to achieve this year which is returning to the top four and challenging for like you said probably the Europa League or one of the cups it's 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 more than good enough yeah definitely I think you're spot on I think Van Dijk was so good. He set the bar so high. Now that he's just a little bit under, people are starting to criticise him and saying that he, you know his time has come and gone. I I just think he's still very good, and you know yeah. you, you've got to manage expectations a little bit there. Um, but yes, uh, the side is still better when he's in it. I think. 
Liverpool have been looking much improved and for the moment, albeit with the injury to Andy Robertson, it, that may be a, proved to be a thorn in the side, but I thought Simakas looked fairly serviceable in replacement. Do you think, uh, the last thing we talk about before we move on from Liverpool, do you think Andy Robertson's injury, because it's seeming like it's going to be long-term now as he's due for surgery, is going to be a potential sticking point in what you want to achieve this season? Yeah, I, I think he's 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 definitely better than Simikas. Simikas is a good number two, he's a good replacement. But I thought he his delivery was not great against Everton. It, it was his first game starting, so you know I cut him some slack. But I think there is a bit of a pitfall between the two, and I don't know how long Robertson will be out for. Um, if it is several months, then that you know that might cost them. But we'll see. Um, I think Timikas has shown that he can he can step up, and we'll see. But yeah, it's a concern. Right. Well, uh, we're moving on now to Chelsea versus Arsenal. And initial thoughts on the game, I guess, as as the Arsenal fan, uh, I think yeah, it was. It, I mean, never easy to play in that sort of torrential downpour, but I mean, Chelsea played significantly better than us for. Definitely the first half, first first 70 minutes, really. Uh, and it wasn't until Robert Sanchez gifted us a, a lifeline that we seemed to then finally take the game by the scruff of the neck. The only thing I will, uh, will applaud in the Arsenal performance is the sort of, once again, the sort of resilience to net, the sort of never-say-die attitude to come back and essentially rob Chelsea of three points and take one. But, yeah, look, the game... The game was was poor, and I, with arguably our almost our strongest starting lineup, uh, there wasn't really an excuse. And yeah, we we didn't play well. And like the and and I'm not someone who's critiqued Havertz's performance this season. I think he's been he hasn't been amazing, but he also I don't, also don't think he's been terrible outside of the United game. He was he, he wasn't playing until 12 minutes, and then when he came on, was actually very good. So no one can really hang that performance on him either. As I know, people have he's been made to be somewhat of a scapegoat this year, but yeah, it was just it was just very poor from Arsenal. What 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 do you make of it? Well, I definitely agree. Um, probably the worst I've seen them in a year and a half, probably. Um, uh, it, it it felt a little bit like the Arsenal of old, almost. You know, going to Stamford Bridge and not really having a sniff. It felt a little bit like that. Although they had plenty of possession, but didn't look. Didn't look like scoring at all. Chelsea looked a lot more threatening on the counter. Um, I was quite shocked by that, but you know it's credit to the team that they were able to to pull it back, um, and they almost scored a third. I think Inketi had a good chance where he was in. He did, yeah. Uh, he just put it wide. It was a difficult finish, but I think it's you know if you want to take something from that game, they they got a point from it, and they they never looked like they were. So I think that's overall positive. Yeah, and I think also like, and this is like a a pretty basic narrative that's been sort of present on social media in the past, in the coming in the days that followed, is that like you know this was the worst Arsenal have looked this season, and this is the best that Chelsea have looked this season, and it was still only two all, you know, it was like that's the levels to it. I think that's false because it's not the best that Chelsea have looked this season. It wasn't their best game by any means. They just looked better than Arsenal. But what I will say is that I think. It it shows it does to a point show show the current levels between the squads because I think 
Arsenal at their worst still have that sort of ability to churn out a result like, you know, uh, some of like, like, a, like a, a successful team, you know, like bad, te- good teams know how to know how to get a result when they have bad days. And mm. they kind of showed that. Um, but yeah, like I, I, at the end of the day, I don't want to see, I, I would have much, we've gone to Stanford Bridge and won in recent years. Uh, and I would have much rather to see that from us uh, this time around as well. And uh, if, considering we had Saka, Jesus, and Martinelli starting for I think only the second time this year, and the last time they did that was four 0 against PSV, I expected more of offensive output from from them. To be honest. Mm. Yeah, listen. I think the the season's long. I think you'll always have up and down games, and it's what you take from them. Um, so I'll. You know, if I was an Arsenal fan, I wouldn't be too broken up about it. I think, I think it's credit to the team. Like they've set such high standards in the last two years that this this is considered a really poor game. And even though the performance was not great, the result was there. So I think that's still overall positive. I would say. Yeah, I I I think yeah, I agree with you that it's definitely been sort of the bar's been raised to a point where a point away at Stamford Bridge is. I mean, obviously the performance comes into it as well, but like at face value, a point at Stanford Bridge is considered a bad result. But yeah. Anyway, performance aside, uh, the biggest talking point from the game was sort of the who can do a better job at cocking this up for their team uh, from both goalkeepers. Uh, you had David Raya getting chipped by a Michaelo Mudrik scuffed cross. Anyone that says that he meant that is delusional. He doesn't look, if you look at the replay, he doesn't once look at the goal. But no, albeit, it, and, and like... Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, and I think that one I'm less unhappy with Raya about because he's one thing that Raya has been good at since joining uh, is is his ability to come out and claim crosses. So he was probably already one step towards doing that, and then was just caught out by a freakish scuffed shot, scuffed cross rather. What I am more worried about is the fact that. He's once again showed a, a, no more ability than Ramsdale to play out from the back, and his mistake almost cost us a goal. Some very good recovery defending from Arsenal and some poor composure from Cole Palmer is what prevented Chelsea from going even further ahead. And if you add that mistake to the, in the Manchester City game, Julian Alvarez almost closing him down, multiple long balls looking uh just not finding their target and there's been uh, and then uh, and then just 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 there's been mistakes i think since the, the spurs game was the first one where he sort of flapped for the cross uh and then there's the manchester city game then there was the uh the Lons game where his long ball out was intercepted and i'll be that ended up in being a very very well taken goal and then you see this moment, which is the, that that error against Chelsea is the worst mistake that he's made. And I've said this to you on Messenger, it's that Aaron Ramsdale was dropped for a lot less. Like, I don't think outside of maybe not coming to claim one cross that he potentially should have and, they, and a team scoring from that, Ramsdale had barely done anything wrong in the opening four games or three games or whatever it had been before he was dropped for David Raya. And now David Raya has made errors that if Ramsdale had have made them, we would have been like justifiably, yeah, it's time for Raya to start. But 
but yeah, I think I, I I know what your opinion on this is because I've seen it written down, but I want to hear it uh, in person. So I mean, I was critical of this signing before he even kicked a ball. I think when you have a, such a solid keeper who's who's looking into breaking into the the England starting lineup, why on earth do you bring another number one in for a lot of money? I know money, you know, is barely is an afterthought in the Premier League, but you bring someone in for a lot of money. And then you drop your your star keeper from last season. He almost won your league. You know, he had tremendous saves at Anfield, for example. Salvage a point. I know Arsenal didn't win the league, but he was so good. And then you drop him for almost no reason. I don't think there was any any footballing reason for that. And it's just the pressure you put on Raya is also, you know, it's it's also not fair on, on the guy. Because I think he's a good he's a good keeper. I think we made like a, a top five. Premier League keeper list, and we all had Raya in there, albeit as number five. But I had Raya above Aaron Ramsdale last season. I thought yeah, he you was, did. statistically he was better, but like that's beside the point. Like it wasn't, now, it was close. But now these mistakes have crept in, and he almost dropped another clanger against uh, Seville, Sevilla in the uh, in the Champions League. Like that would have probably cost you the game as well. Like at least you know the two points. Um, like I don't know, He's, Arteta did not do anyone any favors. I can imagine that. The team dynamics or the atmosphere in the changing room is also not great because of this, or between the two at least. Um, terrible, terrible signing, I think. Should not have done it. And now you're not even getting the, the rewards on the, on the pitch battle round. Yeah, and I, I, I've, for, especially in the, in the last year and a half, I've, for everything that Arteta has got wrong, right, I think that he's sort of earned the trust to, to make certain decisions. So for the most part, if he makes a decision, I'm like, yeah, I back him. But this one, I was confused, even though I thought Ray is a very good keeper, as, like I said, statistically he was better than Aaron Ramsdale last year, and I thought just had a better season. And, like, I could understand signing a keeper to just sort of keep Aaron Ramsdale on his toes because Matt Turner was evidently not that. Uh, because there, there were moments of complacency in the back end of last season, you remember his sort of mistake against Southampton and one or two others. But yeah. if Raya was going to get brought in, and like I know it's only it's potentially big money if if he plays enough games, it turns into a twenty-seven million pound uh, fee. Although it's currently only a three million pound loan fee, but you buy him and you only bring it like the only reason the Ramsdale came in when Leno was showing signs of not being able to do what I said I wanted him to do. Like it, 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 people are you know, like drawing comparisons with the situations. Ramsdale had not put a foot wrong this season yet, not done anything. So I can understand if Raya was brought in after one or two iffy performances from Ramsdale, but he hadn't done anything. And one source I do have who uh, is a person who works over in uh, England who uh, is friends with someone who knew Aaron Ramsdale from when he worked at Bournemouth has said that Aaron Ramsdale immediately was really pissed, like as soon as he was dropped. Mm. And like you see all this media come out about, oh, he's like, oh, we're a goalkeeping union, we're together, we're together. I'm sure part of that is true, but you can't, there's no, I, when I heard that, I was like, yeah, no, no chance he was happy with it. Like right. I'd be as angry as anyone anyway. Um, um, justifiably so. I think, for me, this points to something even bigger. Like Arsenal have not made 
let's say, great decisions when it comes to keepers. I think it starts all the way back when they let Martinez go, for example. I think in hindsight, yes, that was probably good because, you know, they brought Ramsdale in and he's been very good. But there, they let someone go who was phenomenal, got a decent chunk of money. I think Martinez would probably go for more money now. Um, And then they stuck with Leno. Leno, I think, was probably Arsenal's best best player for two seasons when the team was like severely average. Um, you let him. You can say bad. We were bad. <laughs> Very bad. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but then you also let him go. You bring in Ramsdale. Like that, that's two gambles. Um, that also paid off. And I think this is the third one. And this has not been paying off just yet. Um, I I don't really understand the need for change. I don't think. I don't know. I think when you also look at the history when two teams have two starting keepers, it never ends well. One will leave the club and, you know, in the end, it might not work. I think you saw our City when they brought Bravo in and Joe Hart was sort of side sidelined. Bravo was a massive flop and then they had to spend big on Edison. That's been OK. But that decision to bring in Bravo in uh, was a failure. Yeah, and people were and that people were heaping criticism on Pep for a, a good year before he eventually figured it out in his third season. But yeah, and I just think with the with with the Ramsdale signing, as much as Leno was our was our starter, I could see the vision with it because Ramsdale was significantly better playing out from the back, and he also was significant. He was twenty three years old versus twenty eight or twenty nine. So he fit the whole mo- mold of, of what we were trying to do with the, you know, changing the average squad age to be significantly younger. Uh, mm-hmm. Yes, we have players like Xhaka and Party who are older and Elneny, but the, the, the transition was moving from older players in Aubameyangs and Lacazettes and David Luizes into younger players. And Ramsdale fit that mold. So then this, this, not only does the David Raya signing be confusing for all those reasons you've just listed it's also puzzling because he doesn't fit the mold he's 27 turning 28 very soon he yeah. he's 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 four he's almost four years older than aaron ramsdale uh or maybe three years older and for any mistakes or sort of complacency that aaron ramsdale has you could ask you could argue how good was david raya three years ago but i know he was amazing last season but how good was he three years ago and then you sort of you wonder because goalkeepers hit their prime around about the same time as you know most players do 26 27 but then they stay in that prime for a lot longer well into their 30s so you sort of wonder ramzo hasn't even necessarily hit his goalkeeping prime yet and he is only maybe marginally not as good as raya last season so it, it just it, it begs belief I wonder to what extent there's like a Spanish connection going on. This is totally anecdotal, but I saw a video when when they signed Raya and you know Arteta he switched straight into Spanish with the entire Raya family and it it looked like they they'd known each other for a long time and I wonder if that plays into him starting that there's this Spanish connection and you know is that more trust or is that more trusted I don't know but um maybe maybe that plays a little part in it because you know Ramsey was English after all I don't know 
I, speculating. I think that plays a big part in it because uh, Inyaki Kanya, who's the Arsenal goalkeeping coach, we bought, we signed from Brentford, and he worked with David Rea at Brentford, and he is also Spanish, the co- the goalkeeping coach. So I think that definitely that definitely plays into it for sure. And while you know having an English goalkeeper and an English player is good for the you know uh, the coefficient rule, you have to certain amount of English players you have to um, have in your squad. You know that type of chemistry between manager, goalkeeper, coach, and goalkeeper, uh, all speaking Spanish and all knowing, and the goalkeeper coach knowing and being familiar with Raya for a number of years, has to have played a part. And and like, may it's it's too early to say if it's going to you know massively negatively impact Arsenal's season as it goes on. But the last thing I'll say about it before we move on is that it needs. If Ramsdale just needs to play a game that isn't a League Cup game soon, or because one of the biggest things that will be a bad look on Arteta is he said he he wants to be able to have the choice to rotate keepers willy nilly, not willy nilly, but you know, fairly frequently, and he's got a perfectly good opportunity now to do that. Whether it's be play Ramsdale on the weekend against a weaker Premier League team or something or play you know ramsdale in the champions league once we've qualified uh for the next stage see and it, i i don't think he can drop rare now because if he does drop him it will be i think he'll have to almost admit that his selection was wrong and that ramsdale should really be starting because rare has been making mistakes and you know given what arteta said when you make mistakes you get rotated out i i don't think he'll do that um but also, I've never heard of a team that wants to rotate keepers. I've never heard of that. You always have Brighton a starting keeper. What? Brighton do it. No offence to Brighton, but I'm talking about teams that want to win titles. Um, yeah, okay, yeah. Like yeah. Alisson starts every single big game. Um, I think he's even been starting in the Europa League. Um, even though we have a really phenomenal second keeper, Um the same is true for other teams like you don't rotate your keepers and it's not like you know you want to bring in the keeper that suits the other team's attacking style like it's i don't know i think it should be yeah 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 they, 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 they should be you know um able to deal with any sort of attacking situation exactly so i i think over teta he he was overthinking this one and it's it's not been paying off but we'll see we will see we will for so moving on from the uh, two teams that may be struggling a little bit to one team that uh, has been completely revamped under a former Arsenal manager, uh, Aston Villa, under Unai Emery since he since his appointment, uh, Aston Villa are fourth in total points accrued uh, in the league, and uh, their win four one win over West Ham on the weekend uh, was their eleventh uh, home win in a row dating back to the last season. And this season, in the four home wins that they have, they have scored 17 goals in those games. So they are making Villa Park somewhat of a fortress, and they are up to fourth in the table, I'm pretty sure. And like for all intents and purposes, they look amazing. And I, I think Uno Emery deserves all of his plaudits. I think he's a fantastic manager. It was just sort of wrong place, wrong time for him at Arsenal. But you, the, I think there is... A pinch of uh, you have to take their results with a grain of salt because 
while they have been incredible at home against good teams, West Ham, Brighton, even a team that is traditionally quite stout in defence, Crystal Palace, they put three past as well. Away from home, they have looked less than convincing. A one-all draw against 10-man Wolves, looking almost toothless against Liverpool when they lost 3-0, and their opening day defeat 5-1 to Newcastle. They have also got two away wins against Chelsea and I want to say Forest, but that might be wrong on that last one. But yes, they've got two away wins, but they've also two heavy away defeats and a unconvincing draw against 10 men wolves. So I guess what I want to just say, what I, the question I want to ask is, how good do we really think Aston Villa are this season? And sort of do we think they can push for the top four? Because with the fluctuations of like Spurs are top, but who knows how long that will last for. Uh, you've got Arsenal, Chelsea, you've got Arsenal City and Liverpool who will be thereabouts, but Newcastle have shown inconsistencies. Manchester United don't look like they've got things figured out. Chelsea obviously a work in progress. Brighton are inconsistent as well. So do we think Villa are, are a team that could do that or are they just not quite? Um difficult um i think they'd probably drop off just because they have europa league to um to contend with as well um but they've been really good to watch um um i watched them against west ham and free flowing football um there could have been more goals um and a phenomenal manager to be honest i think i think he can he has definitely taken them to the next level, I think they're there to stay in that sort of top six, top seven, that sort of bit. Um, but pushing for top four is just, I think this season it will probably be beyond them just because Arsenal are better, City are better, I think Liverpool are also better. And then it's going to be it's going to be tough to get that fourth spot over Newcastle, United, Spurs. Um, but they've, they've been so good to watch. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of money in the Prem give Unai maybe another transfer window and you never know what happens because Villa are a massive club. Like There's definitely potential there. Yeah, in terms of history and and fan base and even their stadium is like historically one of the, the best in the country. Yeah, I, I agree. The facilities are all there for them to be a, a team. that Because obviously we've talked before about teams that like uh, can go on good runs but sort of struggle to break into that sort of uh, top six mould, whether that be a Leicester. I, know, like, I, I don't have this doubt, but Wilbur has a doubt that Brighton will be able to sustain the success that they've had recently just because of how small of a stature of a club they are. But Villa, on the other hand, are a team that is not quite like that. They are uh, steeped in size and history and, and fan base. But yeah, I think, like you said, with with a few more transfer windows, they, very, they may very well be able to stick around and push for the top four. Uh, albeit they don't quite have the financial backing. Oh, they—they they might though. That's the thing. If they—if they can stick, stay in the Europa League or even make one Champions League, they might very well have the financial backing to um, take it to the top, the the big, the big six. Let's call it the, in terms of monetary backing. But for me, as good as they've looked this season at home and in in general under Emery, I'm still hesitant to say whether or not they're gonna be a real threat to top to top uh to the you know traditional top four just simply for the fact that I, I 
I think this 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 sort of fragility away from home is 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 not something new for Unai Emery teams. As good as Sevilla were in cup competitions in La Liga, they were also nowhere near as good away from home as they were at home. Uh, you know, that was often reflected in their league positions in La Liga over over a number of years. And also at Arsenal, like as uh, like during his quite good start to Arsenal at Arsenal, um, it we were we were obviously quite good at home, but it it was it was very poor away performances that which is where it started to sort of fall fall apart really. Mm. And I think that seems to have been an Achilles heel of his teams in recent years. Um, I, I don't quite remember how good PSG were away from home under his tenureship. But again, yeah, that's the French league and they sort of had, I'm not saying, not we're going to speak on the quality of the French league, but they that team had a bit of a monopoly on that league regardless. So I do think unless they can consistently, I'm not saying they have to win every game away from home, but like if you want to break into the top four, you need to not get dispatched away from home. And against Liverpool and against Newcastle, they were dispatched. Like they looked like a they looked like a lower mid table team against against Liverpool. I remember we I think not sure if you were watching that game, but I remember I, I think I was watching the game. I watched that game live, and I was like, I expected a quite a close game because me and Wilbur had predicted on the podcast we both picked Liverpool to to win, but it, we thought lots of goals and it would be close. But I think Villa had one shot like on target the entire game yeah. and just didn't look like scoring or even threatening Liverpool at all. And Liverpool barely got out of second gear. Yeah, agrees. Um, it's definitely one to watch, I think, Villa. Um, I think they're still, at, you know, let's say in their development, I think they're still in the phase where, you know, they can put they can put together a good run of home games, but then the occasional away game, they will, as you say, they get dispatched. Um, they might, you know, they might ship four or five to a bigger team. Um but you know they're definitely on the up though. If you compare it to where they were under what's his name, Steve so Dean Smith, they they almost got relegated, and you know it's night yeah. and day. And a lot of players are still they're still there. You know, they still have Watkins there, McGinn, um, Tyrone Mings. Like you know, there's still a fair few players from when they almost went down. Yeah, no, I agreed. Yeah, absolutely, and I think. That's what that's been a sign of how good Unai Emery is compared to Dean Smith and also Steven Gerrard is what he's been able to get out of the players that were seemingly relegation level players to 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 the maybe to the untrained eye. I never really thought that the players that you just listed off there were players that were not good enough to stay in the Premier League, but under the wrong tutelage, they weren't maximizing their potential. And Unai Emery, so far, as 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 seems to be doing that. Um, so yeah, I. I I think that I think I can pretty confidently say I think they will finish in the top six this year. I don't know if they'll finish top four, but I, I, with, if they can, if, if if this home form continues, you, you struggle to see how they're not going to be thereabouts for the top six. And because they're and because like I know they're in European football, but it's the Conference League, and I don't with like I said with their history, it's not like West Ham who had never won a European trophy before. I think Villa will be won't be that mad if. You know, I mean, doesn't put that much focus onto that, especially if if they're a legitimate threat to make the Europa League. Yeah, fair enough. But anyway, moving on, uh, we'll briefly touch on the two English teams that played in the Champions League because uh, at, uh, I'm not sure if you if you know this, Jan, but this this season we've 
because there's so many Champions League games to go through, me and we just have decided it's a lot easier to just cover the teams we we sort of speak about and know and watch week in week out and how they've performed in the in the, in the Champions League than uh, it is to dissect every game. So we'll briefly touch on uh, Arsenal and Man United, who both picked up wins, both uh, or Arsenal bouncing back from poor performance and United winning their is that third game on the bounce now? Burnley. Sheffield, Brentford, and yeah, and now this, yeah, massive run for them, isn't it? No, Sheffield, they beat on the weekend. Sorry, uh, yeah, huge run. Uh, uh, so yeah, we'll start with Man United. Uh, a game of two halves, really. That game, I thought. Yeah, I agree. Um, I didn't watch the entire game. I only saw um the extended highlights at the end. Um, they. Yeah, same. They conceded so many chances and, mm. you know, no offence to Copenhagen. I know they have a bit of pedigree in, in Europe, but you should not be conceding that many chances to a team like that at home. Um, yes, they have a lot of injury worries um, and it's been a shaky start to the season. But if you can see those chances on the weekend, I think we'll be talking about the Manchester derby. Um, the game's going to be out of sight within 30 minutes. Yeah. No, I completely agree. Uh, I think... For all the sort of plaudits Harry Maguire has weirdly been getting over the past few weeks for his win percentage when he's in the team versus when he isn't in the team and scoring a goal and assisting a goal for McTominay a, a week ago, uh, I think you you saw a glimpse of the other side of his play in one of the highlight in one of Copenhagen's highlights in the first half where he has a simple task to cut the ball out and get there before the Copenhagen player does and he just the Copenhagen player just gets there first. Uh, and because Harry Maguire is being a little bit careless and lazy, and Copenhagen almost score from that. I'm not sure if that's when they hit the post or go very close to. So, yeah, I think, I think Harry Maguire is on the verge of making... It's It's been two or three or four good games now, He's and I think he's on the verge of making another game-breaking mistake. And I don't, I, I don't really I wish that on anyone, but uh, I, as, as confidently as... Uh, dare I say, as cockily as, as, as he's been uh, talking about him himself and his performances, I think that's waiting in the wings for him on, on, on the weekend. But I think, yeah, Copenhagen have looked good, I think, in halves so far in the Champions League this year. They looked really good in the first half and a bit against Galatasaray to go 2 nil up, but then sort of crumbled and and I drew that two, uh, two all. And then against Bayern, looked decent. And then again, sort of fell off as Bayern sort of walked, sort of tramp, ran all over them in, the, in you know, later in the game. But I think, and this is sort of the similar thing again in the uh, the United game. But I agree with you though. United do have injuries, you know, that Amrabat and Casemiro are one of those two was out and then they've got Lissandro Martinez out and Luke Shaw and Manassia. But their back four, for all intents and purposes, had two of its starting defenders in it. Varane was back and Dallo is their starting right back. And then Maguire, I know as, as terrible as he is, being, he's still the person they spent 80 million on. So I don't really feel like that's an excuse. And then, yeah, Victor Lindelof at left back is, is an ideal. But... The rest of the team is still too good to be conceding that many chances against at home to anyone, really. Uh, so, yeah, I think, 
yeah, look, good on United for creating plenty of chances in the second half and getting their way back into it and 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 getting the win. But like you said, it'll be ugly if they are that leaky on the weekend. Yeah, and they Onana also saved a last minute penalty. If that goes in, you know, the narrative changes and it will be, you know, how can you let this slip? Um, another poor performance at home, yet no Champions League win at small margins. Um so yeah, I, I wouldn't be too overly um optimistic on the back of that yeah. performance. It's a fickle game, football. It's a fickle game. Uh and yes, so then moving on to Arsenal. Uh I mean not a not a great performance, but not a bad performance. Uh, a good way to bounce back after a before performance. Uh, I think that the, the the narrative of this game was just a Tom, T- Takihiro Tomiyasu is and has been this season a very good defender, and Jesus and Martinelli were good. Those 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 are the two the two most things that stood out to me the most. Yes, we talked briefly about the David Raya almost whiffed punch, but if you had to ask me what my two headlines from that game was it was that Tommy Asu is is very good and uh so are Jesus and Martinelli and yeah Sevilla came back with it with a, with a well-worked header from a set piece but and we sort of had to dig in for a little bit towards the end of that game but I don't really feel like we we like there was there was not any many chances in that final 10 minutes that I, where I was like oh crap we're on the ropes here it was just sort of a consolidated away performance in the Champions League. And every away day is hard in the Champions League, no matter where you go. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, it's also it's a tough place to go to, Sevilla. Like, it's a proper European team. They've got the experience. Um, they also have brilliant players. Um, I feel like they're always a little bit underappreciated uh, because they tend to finish third in there. Champions League grew and then they go down to win it in the Europa League. But it's a tough place to go to as well. You know, it's a little bit of a cauldron. Um, and then they had all that momentum in the second half. But I think I agree with you. Um, Arsenal wasn't really giving too much away. There wasn't, wasn't too many big chances or anything. Like heaps of pressure, but no, no real shots on target. The, the most they almost scored from a mistake from Raya. That, that's all they had really. Um, mm. Since they pulled one back, so I think I'll be I'll be happy with that performance. Yeah, the the one thing I will say moving forward for Arsenal is I think Takahiro Tomiyasu is is 100% knocking on the door to take Zinchenko's spot at left back because he's developed his ability to play that inverted role a little better as the season's progressed and defensively it's night and day with, with those two. So, and Zinchenko hasn't been as good to start this season as he was last year for us. So, I don't yeah, know if that, you have any thoughts on that, but on that one, like. As good as Sinchenko was last season, going forward, controlling the game and stuff, putting the strings a little bit in midfield, there was always moments in games where he got a little bit exposed because he was not in the, the traditional left-back position. Um, Arsenal didn't tend to concede from that. Um, he had a really poor game at Anfield, uh, where he probably should have been taken off sooner. Um, but I think this season, it's been going against him a little bit where he does get, you know, people do get in from his side and they do score from there. And, you know, defensively, he's not he's not as good as Tomiyasu, but Tomiyasu also plays deeper, I think. Um, he doesn't really go into the middle as much. Um, so, I don't know. Um, it's a weird one to figure out, I think. I think, the like, like Tomiyasu to start didn't go, in, is, didn't go into the middle as much or look as comfortable there. But I think... 
with every game he plays this season, he ventures and looks more and more comfortable into the midfield, even to the point where he steps up into sort of a second striker role for, to get the assist, uh, to get the knockdown for Havertz's as assist to Martinelli. So I think if he continues to improve in the area, because I, I keep forgetting that Tommy Asu is only 24, like or 23, like it's crazy how he's still he's he's so like calm and assured defensively. Yeah, he's still so young. So I think. If he can keep playing like that, then there's no reason, and then improving that sort of offensive and sort of midfield side of the game, then there's no reason why he shouldn't be staying in the team. Although the the last thing I'll say in it before we move on to the final bit of the show is this whole sort of Tommy Asu's uh, situation and Zinchenko looking poor just makes me feel like if Jurian Timber was fit, he would be the nailed-on starter in that position because he looked incredible until he got injured. More than so, yeah. one half way played. No, and also the Community Shield as well. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, all right. Lastly, uh, we will roll around to usually there's more than one uh, big game for it to preview uh, when we do our predictions for the weekend. But this week there is only one. It is the Manchester Derby. So yes, Manchester uh, United are on a two or even potentially three game winning streak, Brentford, Burnley and Sheffield United. Uh, in the Premier League, that is. And Manchester City back in the winning column after losing uh, uh, two in the Premier League on the bounce and three games domestically, um, all while Rodri was serving his suspension. So Rodri's back. City will be without Manuel Akanji, who got sent off, but with their plethora of defenders to choose from, I don't think that would be an issue. How do you see this one going? Is uh, United? Uh, oh, that's a good question. Uh, I'm pretty sure it is at Old Trafford, yes, because uh, they played at Bramble Lane on the weekend and City played at home. Um, I know they've been good recently against City United, but I feel like I feel like they're due a humbling again by City. Mm-hmm. Um, it is I at Old Trafford, yeah. Yeah. Um, Rodri's back as well, which which is massive for City, the way they play. Um, yeah. I also feel like City have a little point to prove after two defeats. Um, I knew they'd beat Brighton, but that got close in the end again. Um, I can imagine they go out, you know, firing on all cylinders. If they get an early goal, maybe two early goals, I could see this go very ugly for United. Um, I think City will win it um, by two clear goals. I think, yeah, this game's going to go one of two ways. It's going to be really, really cagey and end up in like a scrappy nil-all or one-all draw. Or it's going to be the case that, like you said, City are firing from the start, scored one, two, maybe even three goals before half-time, and United just capitulate and end up losing like 5-0. Well, Because as good as they've been in the past few weeks, uh, United, I do think their their mental stability or fragility hasn't really been tested because they've played three teams who were all kind of struggling. Brentford, with all the injuries they've had, was sort of set up not to lose. And then they've played Sheffield, who are already not a very good side and uh, also dealing with a massive injury crisis. And they also played Burnley. And the fact, the fact that they beat Burnley, you know, I have to say they were the worst. They were the Burnley were the better the, the better side in that game. Mm. So yeah, I. I if I had to pick which of the two roads I think it's going to take, I do think it's going to be a City win. And I 
yeah, if, if I'm picking that, then I guess I have to probably say I think it could get a little bit ugly. I think just for the fact that I've not I've not watched every United game, granted, but every time I did watch them, they were conceding chances. And if that happens against Haaland, like he's going to put two or three away out of the four or five you give him. Um, I don't know. I can't, I can't see United really keep a clean sheet at all. And they have they have created chances themselves, granted, but I, I just don't see them win this. Hmm. I also think that like Haaland responded well to what was that three goals in a row, three games in a row without scoring to scoring a very good goal on the weekend against uh, Brighton. But I also think United defenders in Har- especially Harry Maguire may overcompensate to the the threat of Haaland and panic a little bit and sort of leave spaces. And they've conceded a lot of chances I've noticed in recent games, especially in the Champions League against Galatasaray and Copenhagen, to like second to like sort of that late man run into the box at the top of the box. He's mm. just not picked up by anyone. And and that's with and without Casemiro in the team. So I think that leaves a lot of chance for, for your Julian Alvarez's, your Phil Foden's, your Bernardo Silvers to score if Haaland's afforded too much of the defensive attention so yeah look i i i'm gonna go i'm gonna go four one to city i'm gonna go pretty bold i think you know might, might nab one rasmus hoyland or a, a goal or something but uh i think city were gonna walk all over it we'd love to see it what about you can i pinch you for a score um i'll go three nil city there we go. All right, you heard it here first. And with that, that will be the conclusion of another episode. Uh, the first of four weeks of uh, guest hosts and plenty of new, fresh football ideas and minds are coming to the 40-yard switch. Uh, so, as always, before I thank our dear host, I will remind everyone who's made it this far, if you have liked what you've heard, please uh Follow us on Spotify. Give us a give us one of those beautiful, beautiful five-star ratings. Follow us on our uh, Instagram, which is 40yardswitch.pod. You'll be notified when we post an episode. Uh, we also have a Twitter recently uh, uh, installed uh, by by yours truly, which is just 40yardswitchpod, all one word. And, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's all our stuff to follow us on um, and to, to find us. And lastly, before I sign off, I want to thank you, Yannick. It's always good to have you on the show. This is, I think, this is your fourth or fifth appearance now, and uh, always plenty of wisdom to come from your European mind. <laughs> always a pleasure, mate. Thank you. And uh, yeah, here's hoping both our teams get a win, and just quietly, here's hoping that United take a battering as well. <laughs> That's all for now. Thank you, and bye bye.